Welcome to the Wellness Pod. I'm your host, Malika. And I'm your other host, Impure. And we have bi-weekly episodes where we talk about self-care and all things wellness on Wednesday. In this week's episode, we talk about a topic that Sight has definitely given you a rundown on when you first entered college, financial wellness. So much can be said in that short time from the SIPE session, especially at the beginning of the semester, at the beginning stage of your college journey. There's so, so much to take in and there's so much valuable information to remember, like the savings apps. I remember a few of them like Revolut or something and the budgeting spreadsheets or the interfaces that sometimes I actually don't even understand, <laughs> most of which I've actually just personally mostly forgotten and especially pertaining to this thing this phenomenon that's called financial wellness i agree um i also try to take lots of notes down and like figure out how to save all my money but i haven't really um but also while site has covered the different ways you can save money and tips and tricks on finances in college Mpiwa and i don't want to have a discussion necessarily about that avenue we want to talk about um, how financial wellness is so strongly tied to our general wellness. And Mpiwa and I are both receiving finances from school that support our ability to study here. We also have jobs and we categorize as low income. We understand the anxieties that come with not having an abundance of money in a place like college, but we obviously come from varying backgrounds. I still have a lot of financial privilege compared to some. And so we want to have a wider conversation about this and look at it from different experiences, different angles. Here in college is where a lot of students like Malika and myself uh, personally take hold and possibly full understanding of their financial situations as they branch off from their parents' daily provision to mostly their own provisions. So we'll preface this episode by saying that all situations are different. And to help us have this conversation, we invited Sheriyar from the class of 2023, who is also a board member of the Inbetweeners the first generation and low-income collective on campus. Hi, Shay, please introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Shariar. I'm from the class of 2023. I'm a very frazzled junior. And yeah, I've been part of the Inbetweeners ever since I started college. And during this time, I was also the previous director for diversity and inclusion on the student government, which were very complimentary roles. Well, thank you so much, Shay. And you just said you're a part of the Inbetweeners. I remember how the Inbetweeners set up a mutual aid fund to support low-income students during the bento box crisis earlier on this year to offer the students financial support to access full and healthy meals. So for you, Sheria, why is the Inbetweeners Collective a space that is important to have on campus? When it was set up, there was this sort of collective understanding that was realized between low-income and first-generation students on campus that our experiences at Yale and US were different from those of others. And as far as what the in-betweeners do, um, I think first and foremost, we are a space just to offer people community. But I think also then the in-betweeners is a group of people who believe very passionately about pursuing causes and about making sure that students at YNC have sort of access to an equitable distribution of resources, if not, you know, the full range of resources themselves. There's also, you know, advocacy for individual students on, you know, very particular cases. And yeah, so I think just a broad range of work in the same direction. I appreciate what you said about, you know, having a space where people from low-income backgrounds can collect because they have similar experiences that maybe people of other income classes can't relate to. Um, to not think about 
the term financial wellness sometimes is, like I mentioned earlier, a privilege because it doesn't impact your life, right? I want to know what you think, what your definition of financial wellness is. Financial wellness as a concept is more important for people who already have finances, you know? And I think that's when financial wellness and those principles of moving towards positive healthy reinforcement are important and are relevant. But I think for people on campus and, you know, especially low-income students on campus, it's not so much as we don't know what to do with our money, but it's often the case that we just don't have money. And I think then it goes from a wellness issue to being an accommodations issue. And this is something that the in-betweeners has been talking about incessantly, the fact that it's not a wellness issue. It's always the same conversation of trying to explain to them, you know, it's not that I don't appreciate the fact that, for example, this one particular loan is available. It's just that if I'm not able to afford this, you know, thing right now for which I have to take out a loan, it's very unlikely that two years down the line when I'll still be a student, I'll be able to do so. I love how they brought up the the difference between access versus options is like what they said is like financial wellness already implies the availability of finances as opposed to like the in-betweeners collective more as a focus about the access right so it's something that i think in general like is it's still a valid point of like what the in-betweeners collective does and it should always be taken into account to say like first of all is there access and yeah i just love the fact that it's like acknowledging like that that option this is an area that isn't discussed enough and we want to bring light to it and um understand the like deeply entrenched emotional implications of being in a circumstance where you don't have enough money i think this was an important conversation to have and different framing of the conversation i personally experienced something very interesting and very um confusing perhaps in my first year of college where in singapore as a young u.s student i was low income. But it was confusing to me because in Sri Lanka, I was comfortably middle class. This is absolutely from a position of privilege, but I didn't really have to worry about money. I was wondering if you had encountered experiences like this and um, what you thought about it. That's an interesting question. And I think that's something we hear a lot from international students. If I can take a moment to unpack that question, there's sort of two things going on over here. The first thing that's going on is you know, confusion, like you've just entered the space where you don't have access to as much buying power as you did before. And you also don't have access to that same sort of comfort and luxury. But I think the second thing that's going on here, that's, I think, a little more important to unpack, and that really is, is those feelings of guilt that come with, you know, being from a place where the currency is depreciating, landing up in Singapore, and then being like, oh, no, I don't want to ask my parents for money, or oh, no, I don't want to be a burden. And I think these are, this particular emotional aspect of it is something, you know, uniquely faced by the in-betweeners because it's not something that other people have to think about or feel guilty about. What that says about sort of Yale and US as a space is that this is a place where people sort of encounter class in its most visceral form for the first time. Yeah, you know, people meet their first low-income person at Yale and US, but also a lot of people step into being a low-income person for the first time at Yale and US. And that usually comes at a very awkward space where they have the latest MacBook, but like they're sometimes wondering, oh, 
I don't have money to buy like groceries. Absolutely agree with what both of you have been saying about how there is so much financial diversity. And we talk about diversity in all its forms here at the Liberal Arts College, but not not, not much to do with the finances, of which it deserves that kind of openness and that transparency. Yeah, I, I really do agree because also I think I've had a similar experience to what Malika has had, like in Zimbabwe, um, back home, things were not generally as expensive as they are here in Singapore. And also um, living and being provided for by my parents was something that was a given. And when I came here, everything just had a number to it. And sometimes there's that struggle or that split of being able to treat yourself or and remain well and healthy, yet still having to save and create that savings mentality. So Sharia, my question for you would be like, have you had that kind of dilemma? And if yes, what have you learned from it? Yeah, I think this stems from a much deeper issue, that being one of how you view yourself, both as a person in general and then someone of low-income identity. That decision that you have to make or that point where you make the decision between am I going to save this $5 or am I going to, you know, let myself buy some ice cream, it really boils down to the conditioning of low-income just people in general to be accepted as valid or to be accepted as you know the good kind of low-income people you need to be seen to be making good financial decisions and I think it's very 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 important as someone who you know kept themselves miserable all throughout freshman year sort of calculating prices to treat yourself I think it's important to acknowledge that you are human and that you are no less as human as your peers who can afford to do so. You know, we are not machines and we are not meant to be machines and we're not supposed to be machines. And I think I decided for myself at one point that I am no longer going to dehumanize myself into a machine or let anyone else dehumanize me into a machine. It's okay for me to treat myself. It's okay for me to, you know, pay for my, you know, for a private dentist. Like I remember this putting off this dentist appointment for six months you know, because I was like, you know, I can do without this. I'm going to go home. I can get cheaper dental treatment there. You know, at one point, both of my sweet mates, you know, they sort of grabbed me and forcefully took me over to Clementi. And I'm very grateful for that. The best way to get around this dilemma is to think about what would I tell myself in my situation if I was someone else? I, I totally agree with that also. Like the fact that my freshman year, was such a mental dream for me just because I would always do the max for any sort of spend expenditure. I think we've delved a lot into internalized misconceptions that low-income students have. I was wondering what you think some of the misconceptions or perceptions that other income classes hold on the uh, FGLI group are and what should be like sort of done away with. I think the biggest problem as far as the misconceptions externally coming into low-income groups go, is the fact that there isn't a conception. I think you will often find, as you talk to people who are better off, that they have no idea what a low-income experience looks like. And in high school, um, here I was, this very lower middle class kid, hanging out with some of the richest people in the country. And it very quickly became apparent to me that they did not know that I was not from the same class position as them, not because I was able to fit in, but simply because 
and I find this quite funny, they would never have guessed otherwise. So I think the biggest misconception is that there isn't a conception, you know? I think, especially because at Yale NUS, I really disagree with any notion that we talk about class enough or we talk about class in the right way. I think the way it's taught in CSI and MSD is very abstractive. It's very, this is a thing that happens in the world. And I think what that leads us to is this situation where in the distribution of access and resources, I think there is this non-existent awareness that low-income students exist on the Yale NUS campus. But I think another very sort of strong misconception is that there's this binary between low income and not low income. And I think this is very common where you're either poor or you're rich, which is not true. And people in the middle can also experience the same difficulties as people on the lower end while still enjoying some of the same privileges as people on the higher end. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, I agree because even our next question had had to do with how people who may not know how to interact with low income students should be able to interact. And I love how you talked about the importance of awareness and being open with that and how it's not a shameful thing for a low income student to simply be. Being from a low income background in a developed country is different from, you know, your previous notion, your traditional notions of what financial insecurity is like. And I think it's very interesting that you brought up how some people will simply not know that they're seated next to someone from a low income background because they look the same. They talk, they talk the same. Their experiences are the same. This brought me back to a conversation I had with a friend where we both discussed financial insecurity in Singapore. And I remember saying, oh, you know, there's like free food at the Saga Buttery. And they were like, you always want, like you really love free food. Like, you, like you'll never splurge on, you know, a meal. And I was like, damn, this person really thinks that I'm stingy. And it's not like a financial decision that I have to like consider because of my background. And they really just don't see me as a low-income person, even though I had this conversation with them. I want to know if during your time at UNUS, you have discovered resources or anything that you think would help at least temporarily alleviate a student's uh, financial insecurity in the short run. I think I'm going to start off with an answer that I do think sort of does border on systemic change, that this is one of the hardest things one can do, ask for help. And I think Yale and US students don't do that enough. And I definitely think low-income students at Yale and US do not do that enough. Now that I have sort of forced myself, and when I say forced myself, I really mean forced myself into letting myself ask for help, my life has improved so much because there are people who want to help and there are people who can help and, you know, I think asking for help is the first thing you should do, whether that's, you know, asking your friends if they can give you a quick loan or, or smaller things like reaching out to the in-betweeners and asking them to advocate on a particular issue on your behalf. You can try to do this yourself. You probably will end up succeeding. But just because you can do something doesn't mean you should because you will pay the opportunity price for going through this alone. It is impossible to get through Yale NUS if you do not have a community of care set up around you.
feel like I've gotten, I've received so much wisdom. Like I'm just gonna ask for the full recording and every time I'm like, what am I doing? What do I do here? I'll just like play it back. And it'll be like, Sherya just telling me what to do in this circumstance, how to approach it. Because it's so true. I mean, it's so difficult to ask for help. And I guess that is the starting point. It's not like there are no resources available or no avenues to take. It's just admitting that you need those avenues. In the beginning of the episode, you mentioned that the in-betweeners combines the first generation and the low income because there is space that both occupy. And I wanted to talk more about how it doesn't seem, perhaps being a first-generation student, it doesn't seem directly related to financial wellness when you think of it, or financial security. Um, But I think it's important to have a conversation about it because you can understand how it definitely relates to some level of financial insecurity. So I am a first-generation student too, and, and I think just applying for college, not knowing, not having adults who can guide you on networking, ways to sort of make connections to make more money or whatever, something that isn't discussed enough. And I think it's important to discuss how being a first-generation student can give you unique challenges that are related to financial insecurity, especially in the long run. I I just want to speak a bit about how we define first-generation, which is students who feel that even if their parents did go to college, that it wasn't sort of a comparable or, yeah, a comparable experience to, you know, the experience of like going to college at Yelani West or going to college, you know, a liberal arts institution. And I think what that comes with is a lack of scaffolding. And by scaffolding, I want you to imagine sort of like an acrobat's net where, you know, the reason that they can spin around so fearlessly is because they know if they fall, there is this very solid net that's here to catch them. And what first generation students and also low income students on campus in different but complementary ways find is that they don't have the luxury of that scaffold and they don't have the comfort of that scaffold. I think one of the great things about Yale and US is that we can choose to build scaffolds for ourselves if we want to, because there are people here who want to help you navigate this process. And there are adults here who are prepared, ready, willing, and eager to be adults in your life guiding you through this process. But I think the sad part about it, the part about it that is unique or exclusive to the low income or first generation experience is that we have to make the choice and we have to make that effort. And that's a choice and an effort other people don't have to make. There is nothing that really replaces the power of community. There is nothing that really replaces the ability to lean into people who want to help. And I think one thing I want to say to people who maybe are listening in and who sort of share similar experiences that, again, ask for help. Because I think to be pragmatic, it's true. You know, people who are first generation and low income often have very little idea of what to do. And, you know, I myself, I think some of those feelings of imposter syndrome have been at their most sort of prescient when I've seen people on LinkedIn like announcing that, you know, their internships and their projects and their like collaborations with sort of spaces in ways and mediums that I didn't even know were an option. And I think a lot of us at Yale Anyways do go through this process of grieving every single day when we see people around us doing these amazing, fantastic things. 
And sometimes we bottle it up and we like push it aside because we think, oh, you know, this is jealousy and why am I feeling jealous of my friends? But it's not, or at least it's not the majority of the time. The majority of the time, it's just an acknowledgement that if you had the access and resources and the knowledge that they did, you would be able to do something similar, if not the same. And I, I just completely agree with everything that you have said, because um, we need to understand as well, like that although we do talk about um, wellness on, on, the, on, on this podcast, and in this case, um, financial wellness, we need to be able to take the need to be able to acknowledge the structural implications of things like finances, uh, class, as well as family, financial standings and the economy that you come from, as well as the currency that your national that your country holds. So thank you so much for, for sharing. I had just realized that I should be able to ask for help and not deny that my position is less valued than someone else's. Um, and to also recognize that people who love me love me almost always unconditionally. And it's not gonna definitely not gonna be freed by asking for a loan that I definitely will pay back. I really appreciated this conversation. It's taught me a lot. Thank you, Shirt. And to our listeners listening in who have made it to this point, thank you for listening. And please feel free to reach out to us on our Instagram at Learners for more updates. For sure. And just like Sharia said, we also post content where we encourage you to be kind to yourself. And we also have updates on wellness-related programs on campus. Thank you so, so much for listening in. Stay well, stay safe, and take care.